0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Boston Balling. I'm your host, Gabby Hurlbutt. Hope you're all off to a great start to the week. We are slowly getting towards spring. Um, The cold weather certainly is here. It was holding out for a while, but now it appears like it's uh, really winter weather now. I know it's uh, supposed to snow, I think, the next couple days um, over here In Connecticut so not really looking forward to that but hope everyone's doing well I'm excited to bring you another episode of the show I have a really special guest with me today really looking forward to chatting him about his experience he's a sports anchor with channel 5 WCVB in Boston definitely super knowledgeable about sports and the industry Mike Lynch how are you doing this evening
1: I'm doing great Gabby I'm so thrilled to be on here with you and uh, I can't wait to get started let's go
0: yeah, thank you so much for joining me. I'm, I'm really excited to have you and to uh, chat with you a little bit. So obviously, you know, I am a Boston sports podcast. I love Boston everything. Um, so kind of just before we get into all of that, can you just talk a little bit about your path, how you ended up where you are in the industry and kind of your story to get there?
1: Well, it was kind of, it's not the, uh, the normal path uh, to get where I, where I am. Um, but I I went to Harvard. I played, I was always a sports junkie. I played football and baseball there. After playing three sports in high school at Swampscott High School, and uh, I always loved it. And I always thought it was something that I could do. And you know, when you you gotta get your break. So I, my first job was for ten dollars a game, uh, to keep being the statistician on Harvard football broadcasts. But the but the the guy who was doing the play by play was the legendary Ned Martin. has a booth named after him at Fenway Park. And um, so I just kept, uh, I kept, I must have had five different jobs. I was a bartender, I was a substitute teacher. I was a basketball referee. I was a baseball umpire. And I just knew this is what I wanted to do. And uh, eventually, um, you know, I hung around long enough. So they finally said, who is this guy right here? Let's throw him in on Sunday afternoon. We will get nobody else we can put in there. And and uh, I worked at the radio station. Um, same thing happened at Channel 5. I'd never set foot in a TV station in my life. Um, I came in on a, on a Friday night and watched the 6 o'clock news. And after the 6 o'clock news was over, they gave me the script. And they said, all right, um, why don't you read uh, the script? We'll, we'll, we'll roll the tapes in the same way. And I was like, the Red Sox beat the Detroit Tigers in spring training today. Let's look at the highlights now. On the first inning, and I was so bad. So I went upstairs to Jim Thistle, who was the general uh, news director. And I went up to his uh, office, and uh, he said, what do you think, Mike? And I said, six months, eight hours a day, maybe I might improve by about this much. He says, well, you don't have that long. You're on tomorrow night at six.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I was the final four weekend of 1982. And there I was. And, uh, and I never left. So um, I was lucky. They, uh, they, they needed somebody to fill in because they had uh, a lot of vacation A couple senior guys, Don Gillis and Clark Booth had a lot of vacation time. They needed somebody to, to fill in. And I was ready, willing, and able 24-7. So from there, I sort of, uh, that was in 82 and 83, I became the weekend anchor. 85, I became the Monday to Friday guy. And um, here I am, you know, semi-retired and um, can't believe it's all gone by so fast.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's so rewarding when you're doing something you love doing because a lot of people say, you know, you'll never work a day in your life if you really love what you're doing. And I feel like that is so true because if sports are what you're passionate about and that's what you get to do on a day to day basis, there's nothing better than that.
1: I never felt when I walked up the door and got in the car and, and I get out of the car in the general 5 parking lot, I never felt like I was lugging a ball and chain behind me. I just couldn't wait to get in there. Couldn't wait to say, how can we make our, our sports cast different from the other stations? How can we be distinctive? Can we do something different? And, you know, how are we going to fit all this news into this, this short little uh, amount of time that we have? And, and that was the greatest thing. You're right. If you love what you do and, and have a passion for it, you'll never feel like you're going to work.
0: Yeah, that's, that's everybody's goal, I think, is uh, to end yep. up doing something like that that makes them that happy. So it's cool that you've just been there for so long, and it's it's just been a great experience for you, it seems.
1: Yeah, it really has. Um, I'm lucky Channel 5 was uh, when I first went to Channel 5. Um, I'll never forget, uh, and, and I, I took this cue and, and worked uh, my whole thing. The first day I walked in there, I walked in, I looked in this room and said, Oh my goodness, uh, this is the, the Mount Rushmore of, of, of Boston Newscast. Chet Curtis, Natalie Jacobson, Ron Golubin, Jorge Quiroga, Jack Harvin, look, Susan Warnock, look at all, Janet Wu, look at all these people. And I was so nervous. And I, got I, I, this woman got up, and I said, oh, my God, Natalie Jacobson is walking over towards me. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? She goes, hi, Mike. I'm Natalie Jacobson. Welcome to Channel 5. You're going to be great here. And I said, oh, my goodness. The most important person in the building walks over and puts me at ease and makes me feel at ease. I always remember that. So anytime we hired a new person, a new intern, so I always made sure I went over and introduced myself. They may not even know who I was, but I just wanted to give them the same feeling of relaxation and confidence that Natalie Jacobson gave me when I walked into channel five.
0: Yeah, it definitely can be nerve wracking when you're there for the first time yeah. and you're surrounded by all these people that you've looked up to that you're like, these people are professionals that really know what they're doing. And then, um, and I'm here. So it definitely is probably a nerve wracking <laughs> feeling.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, and I remember Natalie, I would, I would, I would walk by her. She was like type We, we had typewriters when I first started and, um, she has like this jacket on over this blouse, and it has a price tag hanging off the back. And so I'm going, so, does Natalie know she has a price tag on the back? I said, maybe I should rip it off. They said, don't rip it off. She said, they, the LH Rogers in Salem gives her some clothes to wear for a credit on the screen. And she just, <laughs> just flips the tag out back. So, so you know, we won't be, it won't show on, on air. And here I am, I almost went over as like, you know, I thought I was being a good guy. I almost ripped the tag off for her. So, uh, yeah, I was, uh, that's I was pretty young, dumb, and naive, and uh, I had to learn a lot of things, uh, and I had to learn them, learn them along the way. Failure is a mandatory stop on the, on the road to success, so don't oh. ever forget that.
0: That's good. That's a that's a good tip, though, for people too, because sometimes yeah. people don't take failure well. But it's you're only going to learn more when you fail.
1: Absolutely, I've, I've learned more lessons from failure than I have from success. Um, and uh, and especially in, in the TV business, don't stay down in the in the dumps too long because you got to get you got to if you mess up at six o'clock, chances are you have a seven o'clock or ten o'clock or eleven o'clock, and by eleven o'clock you forget whatever happened at six o'clock. It's gone. It's, it's downstream. It's gone. It's so it's a see you later. So um, I've uh, I, that's another lesson somebody taught me, and it served me very well.
0: That's, yeah, that's a great piece of advice for sure. What would you say is the most challenging part of the job?
1: Uh, the most challenging part of the job uh, at, at first was when I first started, we had eight to nine minutes for sports and the 6 o'clock news. And the news ran from 6 to 7. It was an hour. Um, now we get three minutes or less. And uh, it's hard to sort of, uh, you know, you, you got a size 10 shoe and you're trying to, Trying to fit it in a size seven box, it just doesn't. It just doesn't happen. So you really have to maximize your your time. You have to uh, be very uh, judicious in, in what you think belongs in the show and what doesn't belong in the show. And that, that's the hardest part: fit it all in it all in all a timely manner. And then you know, um, I always said three goals, which uh, I heard from uh, the great Jim McKay of, of ABC Sports, and it was uh, to inform, to entertain. And to occasionally inspire the viewers. And so every night I tried to try to see if I could hit those three points. You know, um, we had a, we had a, uh, a feature called High Five, where we'd feature a high school uh, student athlete of the week. And quite often the student athlete had some uh, some challenging physical limitations or uh, obstacles to overcome. And and that was the inspirational part. The informational part was easy. Um, and in the, in, in the, uh, in the other part was easy too, but, uh, that sometimes, uh, we didn't do it five nights a week, but we, at least once a week, had something inspirational.
0: That's really cool too, to be able to feature kids like that and be able to tell their stories. Cause I feel like that's another rewarding thing about being in this type of industry is being able to just tell other people's stories.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that, that, that was really a joyous part of, uh, of, of my job, um, before email came uh, came into being, there was mail, and I'd get mail, and I get letters like, uh, you know, oh um, Sheila from um, uh, Milford, Mass, is a great student. Uh, last year she tore her ACL, she missed her whole junior year. She's a three-sport captain coming in, she, and she comes back, and and um, you tell her story, and you know, it's pretty hard to mess it up. Just put the microphone in front of her, ask her a couple of easy questions, and. Usually these, these kids are really good. They, they just, they sell themselves.
0: That's great. Yeah. It's it's great when you have high school age kids like that, that are able to, you know, be able to tell their story like that. And they're probably super excited to be able to share it with a lot of people too.
1: Yeah. And uh, they were much better on camera than I was the first time, the first time <laughs> when I sat down on Channel 5 about uh, Red Sox beat the, the Detroit Tigers. Let's look at the highlights now. And, you know, they're, everyone's so used to being in front of a camera, you know, if they're in front of an iPhone or, you know, they've, they've got so much more experience and, and we were like nervous wrecks, but, um, there, there, there are a lot more good kids out there than there are bad kids. And unfortunately on the news, all we hear about is, is the one or two bad kids that do something new. So we, we thought at channel five, you know, why don't we feature, you know, uh, every Friday and we eventually change it to Thursday. Um, a, a a young boy or young girl that's uh, doing great things, and their story should be told.
0: Yeah, it, it, we, we need that kind of positivity around, yeah. you know, and when people are, are watching their news channels, it's it's good to have that kind of positivity and, and be able to say, oh, wow, this kid is, is doing really cool things for his sport or his school and impacting them in a positive way.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. I feel like it's – yeah, there, I feel like there's so many – People out there too who are worthy of having those those stories be told too. Is that something that you? How do you find them usually? Is that something that you know you have people reach out to you to maybe nominate people for this, or is it something yeah. where you kind of go out into the community and and kind of just basically figure out what's going on and see who might be worthy You know, of um,
1: a lot of times um, their coach will uh, will inform me. Um, I had a girl named Lisa Wiswall, and she was at Somerville High School in 1987. And her coach wrote me a letter. His coach's name was Charlie O'Rourke. He said, you know, we had this girl. Um, she's an unbelievable distance runner. She runs a two-mile, and she's had six cancer operations. And you've wow. you got, you got to meet this girl. She, it's like nothing ever happened to her. She's at she's practice every single day. So I went to Somerville High School, and I met Lisa, and we sat down. She was wearing a wig. She had lost all her hair through her chemo, and they were taking um, part the bone they were taking from her um, right behind her bicep, and they were putting it in, in her leg. And she, um, she told me, she said, nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to keep running, and I'm going to beat this thing. Well, fast forward, she gets a uh, – the Tufts coach saw the piece, and that's not why I do it, but and gave, they gave her a scholarship and admitted her to, to Tufts. I now see her. She sends me a Christmas card every year. She's in her late 40s. She's got a daughter that graduated from UNH. She's won 17 Boston Marathons, um, oh, and, and, her. But, but, her, but her bicep is so skinny. It's like from, from her elbow to her shoulder because they've taken 17 bone operations for, for 17 marathons. And she's won, her, name, her name is Lisa Maciel now. And she's married to a great guy named Rob, and their daughter. It's uh, got a full-time job. They got a dog, and she said, "You know, if, if you didn't come over that day and talk to me, I, I don't know where my life would be right now. I, I love running. I'd I love. Uh, I'm a member of three or four different track clubs. In fact, one day I went golfing up in Andover, and I was golfing at eight in the morning." And I was coming off, I was like one minute of eight, and I'm coming off the ramp, like on two wheels, and I'm looking the other way, and I almost hit this person that was jogging. It was her. It was Lisa. That's <laughs> so, so funny. I said to her, I said, Lisa, I said, it's me, Mike, sorry, I, I'm late for golf. She goes, you almost killed me. I said, oh, no, no, I'll, I'll see you in a little bit. So I saw her about five months later at a uh, at a road race, and uh, we had a good laugh about it. But uh, we, we we've been friends for... 40 something years. And uh, as, as long as it's, you know, when I first met her.
0: That's so cool. And so inspirational, too, because I feel like so many people will heal, hear her story. And yeah. it'll inspire them to want to do something like that, too, just to show, you know, the way that she never gave up. And she just continued to do what she loves to do and persevere through something that was obviously really, really difficult is just super cool to hear for other people.
1: Yeah. She, she's gotten all kinds of letters and then eventually emails from other people that, that, uh, didn't think that they had the strength or the endurance. Uh, they just, they just were going to down themselves and they saw her story and, uh, it inspired them. And that, that's what Lisa has, has done. Um, she's, she's just spectacular. She, she lives in Tewksbury now. And, uh, and I see her. I see her about once a year. I see her at road race, and uh, I might be the starter or the MC, and she. I get a tap in the back, of my shoulder. we will turn around. And I said, "Lisa, we're just say? Oh, you look so great. Look at you. Blah 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 blah." And um, uh, I'm so proud of her. I'm so. I'm not proud of all these kids. I don't know how many high fives I've done. Maybe a thousand of them. And I'm proud of every single one of them.
0: Yeah, that's so. That must just be so cool and so rewarding to be able yeah. to do that. Because, and for the kids, it probably means so much to them too that you're able to, you know, share their stories with everybody and form that bond with them, too.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's really a, a, a wonderful, satisfying thing for me. Um, it's nice when we go to the school. I, I, have, I have two rules when we get there. Um, I may interview, like, uh, Gabby, you know, is a great uh, basketball player, and I'm talking to her. But at the end, we put everybody in the team around Gabby, and they all yell, high five, and they take the last two words out of my mouth. I say, and we salute Gabby Hurlburt as this week's, and then my boy stops, and then we cut to the video of them all right there going, high five. And I always interview the coach because uh, my dad was a teacher and a coach, and I know they're they're the hardest-working people in many communities, and um, I want to make sure that the coach gets the recognition that he or she deserves as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Especially, you know, when they're at the high school level too, I feel like the coaches really form a connection with the kids and they know the kids well too. So they can speak a lot on, you know, the team, how the team's doing and just individually the kids and what they contribute to the team too. So it's always cool to talk to coaches when they um, coach at that level, because it seems like they really take the time to form those relationships with the athletes. Yep, you you
1: talk to most most people that played like uh, played sports in high school, and you ask them some of their, their most unforgettable characters they ever met in their life, and they may say, you know, my 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 English teacher slash cross country coach uh, really influenced my life. I was you know uh, I, I was at a crossroads. I could have gone down the wrong road, but but uh, you know, Mrs. Cavanaugh helped me get down the right road.
0: Yeah, everybody, I everybody looking back, I feel like has you know, certain people that really made an impact on them in their life to really get them to where they are now. And, and just especially as an adult, looking back on kind of my, you know, just high school, college, and even a little bit post-college, looking at people who have really made a difference in me and where I'm at now. And I feel like it's important to be able to recognize those people and that really helped you along the way.
1: Yeah, they're, um, you know, I'm still good friends uh, with, with many of the people that coach me. And, um, you know, I joke with some of them. I said, you were a big influence in my life. They said, oh, all I did was just coach it. I said, no, you did more than that. You were a mentor to me. You know, you showed me how things, how to, how to deal with uh, success and how to deal with adversity, how to be, how to, how to, be to the uh, uh, underclassmen on the team. And how to be a leader, you know, and a leader isn't usually one that screams and yells and makes the most noise. The leader is the one who's the first one on the field or the court, the last one uh, off the field or the court or the pool. And and those are the things. And you do it by observing you know, people ahead of you that, that you admire. But, but the one constant through it all is your coach.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, they go through the ups and downs with you you know when you're playing for them too so it's they're they're able to kind of help you get through some of the the challenging times and also the good times when you're really succeeding so you 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 lean on your coach for a lot and i feel like it's it's really really hard for people sometimes to realize how much a coach really can make a difference
1: yep um and there are, there are thousands of examples um, and, and i i i defy to find uh, you know, uh, anyone who have had a successful—not doesn't have—you could be the fifteenth man on the team, and on the basketball team or the girl, and uh, you could have the coach could have just the same impact on you. I I tell you a funny story. My my dad was a teacher and a coach at Swampscott High School. Uh, he was my coach in football and uh, in basketball. I didn't have him in baseball. Um, he died about four years ago, and it was so big they had his wake in the church. At Saint John's oh, yeah. Church in Swampscott, and one of the guys that played for him uh, was Franny Sheehan, who, who was a, was the bass player for the rock band Boston. More than a feeling. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. A, na, na. So, um, yeah, I So he was at at the wake, and he kept walking walking up. You know, uh, people were in line. It was like Disney World. They were, you know, there was a winding line, but Franny kept walking up to my dad's, kneeling down talking to him, getting up and walking away, getting up down, walking away. I said, friend, are you okay? He said, yeah, he said, you know, I just I, I, I just, I had to tell your dad, I mean, he was right. He was right. You know, we'd be playing these concerts in London and you know, to Paris and Liverpool. And, you know, we got like a half hour to go or to two hour, two hour concert. And dad you, 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 would always say, fourth quarter, fourth quarter, Franny. That's where the games are won and lost. He goes, and I, that gave me the endurance to keep going, to keep going as strong as, as I could. And I, I just want to thank him. I just want to thank him. I said, he knows, he knows that you thank him. And he was, he was funny. Um, when the season ended, Franny grew his hair very long. Uh, it was as long as yours. And Hello. my father would say, to him, Franny, you're never going get to get, get a job interview. You're never going to be a success in this life unless you cut your hair. <laughs> and, of course, you know, so he goes fun. to the Rock Band Boston. He pulls up, like, four years later in front of our house, and he has one of those cars, a Lamborghini and Maserati, but the door opens sideways over the, over the top. And my father's, like, you know, mowing his lawn with his push mower. And he says, Coach, Hoy And he goes, I told you, Franny, get your hair cut. you are never be a success. And they had a great laugh over it. They would – they would uh, they, they became best friends. Franny would come down, sit on the porch, and just thank my dad for the lessons he taught him and – and for keeping him on the team. And um, it was, uh, he, he wrote, my dad just drank beer. He drank either Bud Light or something like that. And Franny Sheehan he says, oh, I got this great sherry from Amsterdam, coach. You're really going to like it. He goes, Franny, I hate that stuff. He goes, you sip it, I have the Bud Light. <laughs> but yeah, they were, uh, but that really was, uh, that was a funny story.
0: That is really funny. Yeah, yeah, just when you see just how much of an influence and an impact someone had on others that's that's a definitely especially if it's somebody close to you yeah. that's that's awesome yeah that's really awesome it seems like he was a great guy
1: he was he was a great guy he had a lot of friends he coached um you know an nfl coach two nfl players a major league baseball player but he also coached guys like franny Sheen, who really get off the bench unless we were up by by 20 points with a, a minute to play and those people were as important to him as the stars of the team
0: that's so good. That that's that's admirable too, for sure. Because on a team, everybody's important. Yeah, you know that's why it's a team.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: <laughs> what what would you say is your favorite sport?
1: But, you know, when I was a kid, I, my answer hasn't changed since I was probably twelve years old. If you ask me right now, I'd say basketball. But after, even though my father was a high school basketball coach, after on Saturday and Sunday, I go play uh, ice hockey down the pond. And uh, or the playground with the public works used to flood but they take a fire hose and they they flood the playground, it was great. If you asked me in the summer, I'd say baseball. If you asked me in the fall, I'd say football. Um I just I just I loved all three. I when the seasons changed, my like Thanksgiving came, boom, I just switched my mentality to basketball. And then when March fifteenth came, boom, I would switch right to baseball. And uh and that's the way I've always been.
0: Yeah, that it's it's really if it's you know it's if you like all those sports, it really is what season is it? Cause what does it feel like? Because in the summer, it's just everybody's in baseball mode and being able to go out outside and watch a baseball game in the summer is just everybody's, you know, energy is focused on that. Whereas right now, this time of year, it's, you know, for, for, Boston sports fans, everybody's really, really focused on the Celtics and Bruins right now because both are really good, yeah. um, and so it's it's just that time of the year, but in the fall, you know, as soon as football season starts, everybody's in full football mode, and that's, <laughs> I think, the cool thing about especially being a Boston sports fan and being part of that community, too, because everybody gets so invested in all of the teams.
1: Yeah, they do, and, um, you know, it, it used to be um, when Tom Brady was on the team that, you couldn't make any plans until the first Sunday in February. That's when the Super Bowl was, and 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 then the following Tuesday or Wednesday, because that's when the parade was. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, think of all the Super Bowls that you've been to, all the conference championships. So, so that to see that you know, people would ask me, you know, for to speaking engagements. Oh, can you come out the January 18th? And I said, I can't. And they go, What do you mean you can't? It's it's October. Well, you you, well, you know what know, you're going to be doing then. And I said, Yeah, I'm going to probably be covering practice from the Patriots, getting ready for the, you know. Who knows who they're going to play in the first or second round of the playoffs? And that was pretty much true. And, uh, and that was a great pot. I was a lucky guy to, to be able to do it in the town where I grew up in.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, we got so spoiled with the Tom Brady era and all those championships because now – with where just the Patriots are at right now, but also just in general, Boston fans are like dying for another championship, but it really hasn't been that long since the last Boston championship. People just got so used to there being one, you know, pretty regularly and frequently.
1: Yeah, it's been four years, and that, that seems like an eternity. I mean, uh, you know, but the people in Cleveland would love would love to, uh, have to be claimed like that. People in Minneapolis would love to have just four years between championships I mean, we have one every year, or it seems if we didn't have one, we went to the NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Finals, World Series. Uh, World Series, we always won in this century. And then, of course, the Patriots. I mean, they win, They win the Super Bowl, but they went to a lot of, they went to three Super Bowls where they actually lost. Yeah. They went to Tom Brady, went to nine of them with the Patriots. They won six.
0: It, which is crazy to think about, too, that it's just, it almost became just we expected the Patriots to be in the Super Bowl every year.
1: Yeah. And yeah, it did, hence my vacation, you know, and hence my speaking engagements. I can't do anything until the, fir- the, the Tuesday after the first Sunday in February because that's when the parade is. But then two days later, I'm leaving for spring training. So <laughs> we're uh, yeah. off and running with the Red Sox. You know, we just change, boom, right away.
0: Yes. Yeah, so talk about a change of pace, too, between switching from football to baseball right away, yeah. too.
1: Yeah, we, we get out we we just come off like this incredible high and, you know, with like the whole world watching to spring training. Where you know, oh, let's get on the field at nine thirty. Yeah, eleven o'clock. I think we're done. Let's go play golf. And uh, but that, was, <laughs> that, was, that was that was pretty much it. That was spring training. <laughs>
0: That's funny. Yeah, I no, I I love baseball. That's my favorite sport. Um, I'm a big Boston everything fan, obviously, but baseball's kind of since I was little been uh the number one for me. So I'm so happy to have spring training games back now and be able to watch some of those games because. It feels like it's been longer than it has since I've been able to watch a baseball game.
1: Yeah, I know it. It's um, um, they're playing now. They got all kinds of new rules, which we've all seen. That the pitch clock, the big bases now, the three inches uh, bigger yeah. than, than the other bases, and um, the pitch clock's going to be interesting. It's working, um, and uh, it, it's shortening the games. Uh, but we you know we had controversy in the very first game with the Atlanta Braves I mean uh, you know the yep. guy didn't wasn't in the box and they called him out and they do want to pitch and uh, we ended up in a six six tie but I, I think I think it's uh, I think it's a good thing for baseball there's you know every t- there's a convention at the mound every time someone the catcher comes out to talk to the pitcher everybody's going to come in They put their hands over their gloves so they can't read their lips yeah. and then and then the, the pitching coach may come out and uh, you know like that's the only sport like like bill belichick tom brady throws two incomplete passes bill belichick doesn't call timeout and come into the huddle and talk to him for like you know 45 seconds or a minute <laughs> no yeah. it's like you know give him a hand signal or something like that give him a, a you know uh, some type of signal from the sideline okay you got to drop your shoulder more you got to lengthen your stride you got raise to that, raise that ball over the back uh, behind your ear and uh and baseball needed this it really it did because it's it's um I'm, I'm glad you said you love baseball because i do too and dan shaughnessy bob Lobel and i had a nice talk about this today on our our uh, podcast but um the lot of young people are, are not in love with baseball and uh, i think a lot of it is it's just they're impatient and you know you know that a hockey game is over in two and a half hours you know a celtics game is over in two and a half hours a patriots game is going to last three hours well a baseball game could last three hours or it could last five and a half hours. And you have no idea which one you're going to get. And so this is really, this is really going to help baseball. There's going to be, you know, some, some, uh, some arguments and, and some unhappy people. But I think, I think for the most part, it's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I've definitely seen mixed thoughts on it on Twitter as people are starting to watch spring training games. And some people are like, "This is I don't like this at all. It's going to ruin baseball. And other people are saying, I like it. I think it's a good thing. But I actually agree with you. I, first of all, think it's going to start to grow on people the more that they see it and they just get used to it being there. So I don't think it's going to be as bothersome from people with the pitch clock as the players get used to it and fans get used to it watching it but and i also think um like you said it's going to get more kind of casual fans or people who aren't as into baseball to be more likely to start watching games because i have a lot of friends who just say i cannot sit and watch a baseball game for that long yeah. it's just too too slow and there's just not enough going on for me that i can't sit and watch a game and i think you're right it is the younger generation too that they just won't choose to sit and watch a baseball game so this seems to be MLB's attempt to get more of the younger generation to be interested in the games.
1: Yeah. And they're doing it, they're doing it the right way. They're doing it in spring training where they've got, you know, 30 games per team roughly. And, um, it's, it's a great time to, for the umpires and the players to learn, make mistakes, make adjustments. And by the time the season starts on my, I think we're March 30th or 31st this year, um, they're ready to go. So we got about a month to go before, uh, uh, before already. ready, but I think Major League Baseball has made the right call. The one thing I don't like those I, I, they they ban the shift. You have to have a, yeah. shortstop, or two people on the side of second base and the other side. I don't like that at all. It's like telling the Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs they can't do that little thing where they all ran around bring around the Rosie in a circle there and <laughs> broke the yeah. huddle and then ran the play. You well, know, you may have four, four whiteouts on one side and all these different. I, I you know deal with it. You know like if, if you get if they get seven outfielders out there hit them where they get with the guy we willie keeler was a great uh, hitter about a hundred years ago and his motto was hit them where they ain't and uh, just hit the ball with it with the defenders are not and i think it's a strategy that uh, I'd, I'd love that joe madden used it a lot when, when he was managing tampa bay and uh that's the only thing on the new rules that i'm not crazy about that, that i'd like to shift
0: Yeah. The shift I've definitely seen get a lot of mixed feelings on. I've actually seen more people who are happy that they banned the shift because they just didn't like it, but it really was dependent on who the hitter was too. So I feel like it kind of takes away from that, seeing, seeing the infield adjust based on who the hitter is. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how that goes when it comes to a hitter that you normally would have the shift on for.
1: Yeah. You know, if, if, uh, the outfielders can go wherever they want. You want to put three people in the right field, you can do that. You want to put a short fielder like Softball and have a, you know just a center fielder, a right fielder, and a short fielder. You can do that as well. You have all the wherever place you're vacating, like left field, you could be vulnerable there. But nobody, even when they put the shift on, nobody seemed to hit the ball to the opposite field. He or, or drop a bunt down on, on on third base when there's no third base from there because he's over on the right side of the infield. I I think. I think the shift they should have left the shift in, kept the pitch uh, then add the pitch clock and the size of the bases. I think you'd have a pretty good pretty good formula for baseball.
0: What do you think of the ghost runner rule?
1: Hate it, hate it.
0: Yeah, you're, it's weird.
1: You're rewarding a your team. Let's say you got a let's say um, you got a uh, pitching staff that's thrown nine innings and they haven't allowed a a, a runner to second base. Their starting pitcher in their bullpen has been so good. Now all of a sudden he come in the top of the tenth inning. Well, let's put a runner at second base. Whoa, wait a minute. How do you get him to get him there? Bunt him over to third base. Now he's standing on third and one out. Sacrifice fly, he's home. So you yeah. give it up no hits. You place the guy at second base. He advances to third on the walk. He comes home on the sacrifice fly. And you could possibly lose the baseball game.
0: Yeah, I don't want to say it's necessarily a freebie, but it almost is because yeah. it's, you know, it's it's scoring from second base just the chances of that happening i feel like are relatively high yep. cuz like you said even if you give up a single they they could score on that sure you know so sure. that's that's also another factor too i feel like it's i know that's another attempt for them to try to just speed up the game but i feel like they should let a few extra innings happen before that happens. And maybe if you reach a certain point in the game where you get to a certain inning, if you're going like, you know, into like the 13th inning or just something like that, then maybe you think about implementing it then. But I do feel like you should kind of let the game live when you first go into extras before you implement that ghost runner. If you are going to do that.
1: It's kind of like hockey. They they play a a five minute overtime and then they go to the shootout after that.
0: So, I don't
1: like the shootout. So let's play let's play two innings. let's play the 10th and 11th inning and then we start the ghost run in the 12th inning if we don't have if we don't have a, a winner by then.
0: Yeah, the shootout is always fun in um, hockey, but it is kind of a weird way to settle the games
1: so. It is it is but you know you, you, you could be there all night. Um, I remember in, in the 1988 or 1990 Stanley Cup Finals the Bruins played the Edmonton Oilers at the Boston Garden, old Boston Garden. And the game went three overtimes. And um, so uh, Edmonton won the game. And the game got over about 1.30 in the morning. And um, then we had to go in the locker room and do all the interviews, this and that. I get home about, I don't know, 3.30 or whatever. My wife says, where the heck have you been? I said, the game went triple overtime. She says, don't give me that crap. You know, I said, It went triple overtime. And I, I don't even know if we had cell phones then. And nobody could get near a payphone because every every guy in the place is just calling up their wife or their girlfriend or their mother <laughs> and saying, "Look, I'm just like we're in du- we're in overtime, we're in double overtime we're in, overtime, we're in triple overtime right now." And those are twenty minute periods, you know. So it's like yeah. it's like playing two games instead That's of great. one at the garden that night. So yeah, uh, you don't want a situation where you're sitting until three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so I I think yeah. you and I have come up with a great solution right here. Let's go. Let's play tenth and eleventh inning. Uh, at regular baseball, and the ghost ghost it comes in the twelfth. Yeah,
0: yeah, I remember I went to a sixteen inning Red Sox Yankees game <laughs> one time <laughs> at Fenway, and I loved it just because I love baseball. But I, I was with my parents and my cousin, and the game start. It was a four p.m. game on a Saturday. Yeah. Um. So theoretically, it would have ended, you know, around seven or so. But the game ended up ending at the time that a seven o'clock game would end. It ended around. Tennis because we felt like we almost watched two full games of baseball, yeah, yeah. and my mom by the end was like, "I am so ready to just leave," but I wanted to see how the game ended because it was the Red Sox were winning one nothing until the ninth inning, and then the Yankees tied it in the ninth inning, and then the game went sixteen innings. So it was, <laughs> it, was just, it wasn't even like it was a really action packed game either, and then it went sixteen innings, and I I was fine with it because I was like, "Hey, I'll take the free baseball and be able to watch." more of this but there i could tell there were people that were just so over it by the time that game ended
1: yeah they uh it's 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 really it's it's hard and of course it's red sox yankees i mean even the nine inning games last four and a half hours oh, you yeah, know. exactly so i'd same with the ballpark and it will be the first game of, of a yankees red sox series he goes well what time are you going home tonight mike 11 o'clock news we'll be about well let's see let's see you're when you're on about 11 20 we'll be in the fifth inning
0: <laughs> it's so true. Those games take so much longer than oh, other baseball did. games, but yeah. it's, 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 it's fun having the rivalry though.
1: Yeah. There's not, not really
0: anything like it.
1: Nothing beats Red Sox Yankees. Uh, I'm telling you, it just goes, it goes way, 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 way back. And, um, and still, you know, there was a time like in the seventies where it sort of died down a little bit, but then it just came right back up in the, in the late seventies. And, uh, and it was a great rivalry. Nothing, nothing beats it.
0: It's really it's really the best. Going to those games and just the atmosphere, too. Going, yeah. The atmosphere at Fenway in general is just awesome. But yeah. going there for a Red Sox-Yankees game is is just super cool.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're just so right on top of people. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you're sitting down in the, in the box seats, even in the grandstand. I mean, you can actually see the guys, what they look like, you know? Yeah, uh, it's cool. Yeah, they uh, – I, I actually played at Fenway when I was in high school and, and, um, oh, yeah. in an all-star game, and I was a pitcher, and I, um, we were in the third-base dugout, and um, I, they told me to go warm up, and I said, out well, to the bullpen. He go, no, just get down the left-field line right here. And I threw the first pitch 12 feet over the catcher's head, <laughs> and it landed <laughs> in the box seats. and I almost hit about seven people. There were probably 100 people at the game, but, you know, it seemed like ninety three of them were on the third base side that I almost hit. But I realized how close they were to the action and that they, they they could get hurt. And I almost hurt someone.
0: <laughs> wow. That's a crazy story, actually.
1: <laughs> but
0: it must have been really cool still to play at Fenway.
1: It was unbelievable. I I, I was sixteen years old. Um you, you made, and they, they went around New England. I, I you had to travel to these tryout sites. And I went to Nashua, New Hampshire, Holman Stadium, and I pitched two innings and everybody was trying out and they picked maybe six people from each location. They go Portland, Maine, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Hartford, Connecticut, um, Burlington, Vermont. And I remember the guy announced my name and I said, Oh my gosh, I can't remember. This is the greatest ever. And Jerry Remy with the same age as me. And, and we were in the same game together. We used to talk about it all the time. I said, well, you made the major leagues. You know, I, I didn't quite make the major leagues, but, uh, I got to announce a lot of your games.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a Red Sox legend too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he,
1: he was. Yeah, he was. He was a great guy. Great, great guy.
0: Well, this is, it's going to be a, a an interesting season for the Red Sox. I'm excited for them to start, but obviously the Celtics and Bruins right now are both, you know, playing really well. Do you think that this there's a possibility that this is a season where we get both of them winning a championship because they've never won a championship in the same season before. No, I don't, I don't think
1: any, any city has had, uh, to, uh, had their winter teams, uh, both win hockey and basketball, um, yeah. on paper right now, it looks like they both should be, uh, in the, in the finals, Stanley cup finals and NBA finals. Um, the Celtics, I think that, you know, Milwaukee's a tough team. And as we saw the other night in that great game with us with the Sixers, Philly's a great team as well. Yeah. Um, I'm just so worried that everything has gone so well from October and November right up to this point. There's always that there's a point where there's a major injury or something happens. And in hockey, Dan Shaughnessy was bringing up this point. He said hockey is unlike any other sport. Once the playoffs start, it's a reset. One play say, so and how many times has the eighth seed knocked off the number one seed? In, in so many playoff matchups and so many series, and that's my biggest fear that they win the president's trophy with the best record in the National Hockey League, and they've done that before.
0: We know yeah. that's cursed.
1: Yeah, yeah, it get knocked out. <laughs> so I said, please don't, please don't hang a president's trophy banner uh, in the in the in the balcony of the Garden. Just uh, just go okay. and play. But I, I would be ecstatic if, if the two of them uh, ever get in there and, uh, and both won. It would be really some, uh, that would be something to uh, to yell about.
0: Yeah, and obviously for both teams, it's been a while since their last championship too. So it would be really, really cool for either team. I agree with you. I think on paper and how they're playing right now, they both should be able to go to the finals. But hockey is such a tough sport to predict in the playoffs because it's it's a completely different game. Like nothing from the regular season matters at all anymore.
1: And it's all it's all your goaltender. You get you have a goaltender that gets hot and just stops everything that's coming at him. You, it, it, it can change everything. I mean, when the Bru- Bobby Orr and the Bruins won it in 1970, won the Cup. And this town went crazy. I was a junior in high school. And we said, they're going to be champions for the next decade. They're going to win everything. Next year, Montreal comes in, first round, and they had Ken Dryden, who was just out of Cornell, and he was their goaltender. They eliminated the Bruins in the first round. The Bruins won the next year. They beat the New York Rangers. And then Bobby Orr got hurt and they traded him away. And they were in the finals in 74 against Philadelphia. But I'll never forget that because the Bruins with Bobby Orr were going to be the best team in the National League for 10 years in a row. And they lost in the first round the year ever they won it.
0: That's brutal. That's so brutal. Talk about the excitement and that high of winning to then that just go immediately all the way down once the playoffs hit the next year. Yeah. That's so tough. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I really it's they're both really fun to watch this year, both of those teams. And it's been yep. nice after the frustrating season that the Patriots had to be able to watch these teams do what they're doing. I think with basketball, I genuinely believe that getting out of the Eastern Conference is going to be the toughest thing for the Celtics. I think if they get out of the Eastern Conference and they win the whole thing.
1: Do you think that what about what Golden State if they make it in? You worried about them?
0: not as worried as last year um I think the Celtics now that they have the experience of being in the finals I think it's going to be huge for them I actually think Phoenix out of the west right now um now that they have KD yeah might be the team to be in the west but I think overall the Eastern Conference is a stronger conference right now
1: yeah I, I think it is a stronger conference too and uh and you know, let us hope that the Celtics uh, have a better record than Milwaukee, uh, and they don't have to play Game Seven in Milwaukee if they if that should ever come to pass. Because they keep
0: winning games too. The Bucks will not lose right now. I know,
1: I know. Like I keep I keep thinking back to that birthday party that uh, Jason Tatum went to, and if that one game cost the Celtics so <laughs> home home court home court advantage and the number one seed, I'll be out of my mind.
0: Yeah, if they if they don't clinch the number one seed, people are going to look back at that. Yeah, that game. I know nobody wants to. I don't want any part of going to Milwaukee for a game seven.
1: None at all. None at all. That because the, the the Greek freak is 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 really something, and he's got a pretty good cast around him too. And uh, and they they know how to win. They did it a couple of years ago.
0: Exactly. Yeah, they're they're tough. They're they're definitely the team I'm most worried about in the Eastern Conference. But yeah, that that game against Philly was really exciting the other night.
1: How about the shot by by Embiid at the end? I mean, unbelievable. It's just, just a fraction of a second from letting the ball go. And I, I think, um, uh, what's his name, uh, got in his way there, um, uh, uh, Derek um, um, yeah, Lewis, right?
0: Oh, are you talking about Derek White?
1: No, Derek White. I'm thinking of, yeah, I'm thinking of um, uh, Derek White. Just, he, he came racing across and just got in, uh, in Embiid's way, way, a fraction of a second just cause him to hesitate before we let it go, and I think I think that might have been the difference in the in the in the, in the you know we, we might still be playing right now. we we be yeah. in probably quadruple overtime?
0: Yeah, I have a friend who's a big Philly sports everything yeah. fan, and he was texting me after the game, and he was saying, I can't believe that didn't count. I can't believe that it was, you know, after the buzzer. But, I mean, I had to, I did have to watch the replay to make sure that it went off after the buzzer because it was really close.
1: Yeah, there was a good replay from uh, from the rear angle. You can see when he's just yeah. about to let it go, and then the red light goes around the backboard, and then he lets it go. Yep. But uh, that would have been – I mean, that would have been one that would have been on every highlight reel for the end of time. You know, the what yeah. would that if shut shot like that to actually tie the game and send it into overtime.
0: Yeah, I've never seen something like that before. That was crazy. And everybody all those fans that were there too, all those Philly fans definitely were holding their breath for a second too. Cause <laughs> they were like, Wait, did that just count? Are we going to overtime? <laughs> yeah, that was Philly. exciting. Yeah. yeah. But I'm I'm hoping for uh, I don't want to jinx the teams, but I'm hoping for Hopefully, at least one, potentially two parades for winter sports teams in Boston this year.
1: Yeah, well, we know how to how to how to host parades. We know you know the drill. Get on the duck boat, line the cities of Boston. Everybody behave themselves, and uh, and everybody have a good time. So uh, yeah, we haven't had one. Let's see, since the uh, Patriots in nineteen, right? That's that the yep. last one we had. Yeah. So yeah, uh, was
0: it.
1: Celtics won in two thousand ten. No, two thousand eight. They lost in 2010, yeah. and the Bruins won in 2011. 2011. They lost in 13, and they lost in 19.
0: Yeah, so yeah, yeah. 2019 I think was time, rough because 2019 I thought was the Bruins' year.
1: Ooh, I know it. I was back and forth to St. Louis, and uh, I thought we were all set, and we were getting ready for a parade, and then oh, that uh, uh, I know I'll never forget that. I remember where I was standing too. I was standing in the, down in the handicap section. And uh, just just behind the load seats, and I uh, went, oh, and that thing went in, and then when uh, they they scored at the end of the was it the end of the second period or first period, and they scored very late. And, second. Uh, second, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that was,
0: t- that was that was just tough. That series was tough.
1: Yeah, that was. But,
0: but the Red Sox in 2018 were fun too.
1: They were great. I was out in Dodger Stadium for that one too. Um, we really? were standing on the field until one thirty in the morning, and I went right to the airport and took the red eye home. Uh, oh wow! It was good. Yeah, I wanted to, I just wanted to get back here and uh, and because uh, I knew the parade was going to be the next day or so, and I wanted to make sure that I got home, got a good night's sleep because I know the parade day would be a long day.
0: Yeah, I don't. I, I don't blame you. Yeah, that's that was that's that's fun though. Being able to you know be there when they won. I kind of wish they had won at home, but yeah. I was like, I mean, I'll take the win. It's a World Series win, regardless of where it happens.
1: Yeah, only one of the, the four World Series wins was at home. They won uh, in 04. They won in St. Louis. I remember that one. I was in Denver in 07. And 13, they won at a Fenway. Yeah. And I was there for that one. And then they won the uh, 18 one uh, up in Los Angeles. But uh, it was, you know, when I grew up, the Red Sox would find a way to lose all the time. And this, this club, uh, this franchise since the turn of the century, always found a way to win. So it was so much different when I was when I was a kid, you know. I mean you watch the Patriots game, you you'd you look like this on the TV, you is the punt return for touchdown. Oh, there's a flag. <laughs> <laughs> you just you yeah, know what flag? Where's the flag? You know, oh there's a the flag? Where's the flag? And um uh, and the same thing with the uh, um if something could go wrong, it would go wrong, especially with the Red Sox. It's a Bucky dent home run. Um who knows? I mean, uh that after Fisk hit his home run in game six, they lose game seven. And the 86 World Series, it was <laughs> there, the ball went through Bill Buckner's leg. And, uh, <laughs> it's, if it, if it's like any so possible
0: big, thing that could happen to go wrong just went wrong.
1: You know, I thought I'd seen everything, you know, the, and I never saw the ball go through Buckner's leg because they went up five to three in the top of the 10th inning. And so um, the game was on NBC. We're ABC. And we have Ted Koppel and Nightline. And we decided we're going to break into Nightline if the Red Sox won. So I had to get downstairs by the Red Sox uh, g- dugout in there where the clubhouse is. Now, they had the third base dugout, and our press box is on the right field side. So it took almost a whole inning to walk down. I get down there, and it's taken a long time and a long time and a long time. There are no TV monitors. You can't see the field. And I'm standing with my microphone plugged in and listening to Ted Koppel. All of a sudden, the Red Sox clubhouse door opens, and Mrs. Yockey, who own the team, gets ushered out down the hall. Then the door opens, Bob Costas goes scooting down the hallway. Then the door opens again, and they're wheeling out cots of champagne, and they're moving down the hallway. And I said, well, maybe, maybe they're going to a bigger room. This is really a big event. It hasn't happened in 68 years. Yeah. And then they open the door, and the World Series trophy gets wheeled down the hallway. And I'm going, what the heck is going on here?
0: Oh and then I
1: hear, I hear the cleats on the ground coming, and I hear some profanity, and I hear I see gloves being thrown against the wall, and the Red Sox are going in, and they're all muttering curse words. And I'm saying something, like, what happened? And a New York cop at a transistor radio goes, You didn't know what happened, the ball through Buckley's legs, the ball through Buckley's legs. You're kidding me. So I oh, never saw it. Bob Lobel was with me. He never saw it. We didn't see it until by the time we got back to the hotel, um, sports center was off the year. This is 1986, remember. And I had to wait to the midday news on the New York TV station to show us how how the Red Sox lost the game. That's how I found out about it.
0: Really? That's crazy.
1: Yeah. I I thought I would be there for the most celebrated moment in Red Sox history. And I was there, but never saw the most disappointing moment in Red Sox history.
0: (laughs) Wow. What a moment. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) i and
0: should my, write a book yeah. how quickly the mood <laughs> changes though
1: yeah oh boy oh my goodness and then like say what do we do now well we never broke into ted, ted Koppel on nightline and then they got uh, i didn't think it rained out the next night in game seven so game seven was two nights later and they pitched bruce hurst oil can Boyd was ready to go but the team's trainer told the manager john mcnamara that oil can wasn't ready to pitch and oil can Boyd to this day is angry as hell about that bruce hurst uh started that game and uh, they lost game seven to, to the Mets.
0: Yeah. That's <laughs> wow. That's yeah. That's, it's definitely, I feel like just being a Boston sports fan back then compared to now is so much different.
1: <laughs> yeah. If something could go wrong, it would go wrong. You know, the ball going through Buckness, let me, who, I mean, you never figured that would, that, that would <laughs> be it. Okay. He might fumble the ball, but he keeps the guy at first and the runner doesn't score all the way from, from second base, you know, and now we go to the 11th inning and uh, so, yeah. but we had—I had no way to watch it. I—I—I I, I was the concrete hallways, you know. And I'm and I'm saying, boy, this, I'm looking at my watch, saying, "This thing's taking about a half hour. Like, what, Why is it taking so long?" Yeah. And none of us had any reason, knew why, because we had, we had no TVs, no transistor radios, nothing.
0: Wow, that's a crazy story.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely uh, glad I was not around for that. <laughs> <laughs> I probably, I don't think my TV would have made it through
1: that. A lot of TVs didn't, a lot of TVs got kicked, thrown at, Uh, a lot of people like, you know, walked out of their houses and, and then when you go to all four, I mean, you remember all the stories of how many people went to cemeteries to talk to their dads or their moms or their grandparents, you know, and say, Hey, they finally won it. sorry, didn't see it in 86, but, uh, you know, it finally happened. And, uh, you know you look every every cemetery in eastern massachusetts had red sox hat or baseball or something or a pennant you know draped over it like uh, here it is grandma here it is grandpa you know they finally won it they after 86 years they finally won
0: yeah which is which is just a cool you know just a cool thing to think about too
1: yeah well think you know we're complaining that we haven't had a championship in four years i'd just like to not have one for 86 years you
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Some people had to go their whole lifetime without seeing a new yeah. championship. So, yeah. The people, yeah, me. even people like people younger than me now are like they don't know really what losing really is even like.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I know it all too well. I remember I was I was at the '67 World Series. I was at the '75 World Series. I was at the '86 World Series, and I'm saying when is it going to happen? And then we had a long drought, no World Series uh, appearances until 2004, and then we got spoiled. Yeah. All you you youngins got spoiled.
0: (laughs) I mean, I I like to be part of, you know, taking credit for that. Maybe my generation kind of brought the good luck for these teams.
1: Maybe you did. Maybe you guys were doing something, uh, you know, superstitious, uh, like uh, better than we were doing, because what we were doing did not work at all.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm glad we were able to uh, take on that role then. (laughs) Doing that.
1: Yes. Thank you for doing it.
0: Well, this has been a lot of fun. I really, really appreciate you hopping on on here and being on the show with me. I really enjoyed this.
1: Well, it was fun, Gabby. Um you know, anytime, give me a call. I'm happy to happy to uh to jump in and and tell you some stories and talk about the current state of affairs. And um it was a real pleasure. Keep up the great work. You're doing a great job.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate everyone for tuning in to the show as always and the support that the show's gotten. Definitely really appreciate that as well. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your week and I will catch you all on the show next time. Take care, everybody.